In many ways, Jim Newsom needs no introduction to this congregation. Uh, Jim's been coming here at least once a year and sometimes twice a year for 15 years, 16 years, 17, I don't even know, somewhere in that range uh, that he's been coming and, and obviously has become a friend of our congregation. For many years, we had a quote from Jim on that back wall back there. And then when we repainted it, it went, it went away. But you can go to outwardfocus.org and you'll find that quote right there on the front page. Um, Jim's lived a life. Uh, Jim's lived several lives. And uh, I'm not going to get into his testimony. He might work that in. But, um, you know, I've often said that when I go through something or if I'm going through a difficult time, um, I don't want somebody who has a theory or has read a book walking with me through it. And if you'll excuse my vernacular, I want somebody who's already been through hell to help me walk through mine. And uh, uh, Jim is one of those folks that's lived, and so uh, I, I have no problem walking through this life with Jim as my brother and my friend because he he didn't, he didn't just read it in a book. <laughs> Uh, as a matter of fact, he's writing a book about his his experiences that we all look, would look forward to reading. There's people clapping, so get with it, Jim. Oh, he's already told me that the book is beginning to be edited, and and I'm looking forward to it. So, and Jim always, always brings a word for us that that catches us and hits us right where we are. So, prepare yourself to hear from the Holy Spirit through God's servant. Jim Newsom, come, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. <clears throat> well, the pressure's on. <clears throat> Sometimes I wish they'd say, "Listen, he's not that good a preacher," you know. Boy, we're going to have to just, you know, bear with him, you know, and. Uh, and then I preach a great message. So if you lower your expectations, yeah. Someone once told me when I put on my bio, I ought to put the worst picture that was ever taken of me on my bio and picture. So when I got here, they're pleasantly surprised. And, uh, <clears throat> so, but that actually is my best picture. So, and, uh, it's about eight years old, but it looks so good. I don't want to take it down. So. I'm thinner there, you know. Um, anyway, it's great to be here. I, I am grateful that he mentioned the book. I, it is being edited. It is called uh, uh, Treasures Hidden in Darkness. And uh, and it's all about the uh, all the treasures I discovered in the midst of some of the darkest times of my life. And uh, there's always, in the midst of your darkness, there is something that is very, very valuable that God wants you to find. In fact, when you find it and apply it, you hasten the time you have in the darkness. I mean, you hasten the day that you get out of that particular darkness. And uh, it wasn't God didn't produce the darkness, but he's at work for good in everything. And so when I'm in a place that I know God didn't allow it, I'm, I'm just allowing him to work it together for good. It's not good, but he can work it together for good. And uh, so that's what, that's what the book will be about as well. 
If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Philippians, the second chapter, and we'll get there momentarily. But while you're turning there, I want to pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us. There's a scripture in, in the Psalms that says you sent your word and you healed them. And it said you sent your word and you freed them. You sent your word and you delivered them. So, Lord, I pray that the word that you're sending this morning, uh, that you would use it to heal people, to deliver people, to free people. Not only free them from something, but also free them for something. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. My mouth is a little dry this morning. It's Larry's fault. He took me golfing on Friday. And it was hotter than that word he used earlier. And <laughs> I, I, I won't use it, but it was hot. And I uh, got a touch of uh, heat exhaustion. So I'm just battling that a little bit. But the Lord helped me yesterday morning, and he's going to help me this morning. Amen. Well, the title of the message, well, before I tell you the title, I'll tell you what produced the title. <clears throat> As you know, I do a lot of prison ministry, Uh, and I tell Larry and I tell others, if I was independently wealthy, that's all I would do is prison ministry. Not that I don't enjoy ministering in churches. I just enjoy ministering in prisons a lot more. It's perfect for me, and I'm perfect for it. I'm Briar Rabbit, and that's my Briar Patch, and uh, I can get around in it and... uh, when I come out of prison, man, <clears throat> I'm healed, I'm rested, I'm, I'm good to go. I, I've shared this before, but growing up, my children, when they would see their dad get a little grumpy or a little impatient or a little <clears throat> tense, one of them would always say to me, Daddy, can't you find you a prison to preach in? <laughs> because they knew when I came out of the prison, I was good to go. And my son always would meet me at the door with a request, knowing that I was going to give it to him. I'm full of mercy. I'm full of grace. Hey, Dad, can I get that thing you said no to last week? Oh, sure, son. You can have it. So, but we do weekend conferences, and I have the privilege of going around to the different um, pods or the different cells and then go on the yard and and I'm always looking for people that don't know Christ. They're not hard to find. You can tell by the way they talk or you can tell by the way they act or who they're yelling at. And so I strike up a conversation with them and with the hopes of, you know, sharing with them the claims of Christ upon their lives. And and I've had some success in that, not very much, but uh, but one of the... Excuses are one of the things a lot of them say to me when I present the claims of Christ. They will re- respond with, well, I tried Christianity and it doesn't work. Anybody have ever heard that excuse? I mean, I, I share a lot on the streets as well. You know, I, I'm part of the homeless team in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and so I'm, I'm sharing the claims of Christ with these homeless people. And quite often I hear the same thing. They say, well, I tried Christianity, and it doesn't work. Or they'll even say, I tried prayer, 
and it doesn't work. Anybody ever hear that before? I try prayer, it just doesn't work. Well, my response to them is this, is that Christianity does work, but you got to work it. You do. Prayer works, but you got to work it. And I'm going to tell you how to work prayer, but... But it, there's a there's our part in the whole process, and um, the walk of faith is comprised of two parts. It's God's part, and it's our part. And because God honors free will, which I wish He wouldn't sometimes. <laughs> Uh, Bob Mumford once said, if I understood what God gave me when I <laughs> gave me free will, I'd have given it back. And <laughs> but God honors free will. <clears throat> and because of that, he waits for us to initiate before he responds. And that's very important for us to understand that we have a part to play in this. And uh, you can, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures, reference them. You can write them down if you want. We see this in scriptures like James 4, 8, where it says, Draw nine unto God, and he draws nine unto you. Who initiates that process? We do. We take one step towards God, or we say a prayer, or we cry out for help, or we open up our Bible, or we do something that indicates that we're drawing nine unto God. And it says the moment we do that, he starts drawing nine unto us. We take one step, he'll take ten steps. If we take ten steps, he'll take a hundred steps. He'll start drawing nine unto us. In Matthew 7, verse 7, you know, which probably all of us have committed to memory, it says, ask and you shall receive. It says, seek and you shall find. And it says, knock, then the door will be open to you. Now, <clears throat> the asking precedes the receiving. You got it. God never asks us to do something that we can't do. I can draw nine. I can pray. I can cry out for help. I can open my Bible. I can go to my pastor and ask him for some help. All of those are indication I'm drawing nine. But so if but I have to ask in order to receive. I got to start seeking. It's God's job to help me find something. My job is just to start seeking. And somewhere in the process, he'll help me find something. I got to knock in order for the door to be open. See, it's God's job to open up the door. It's my job simply to just knock. Who think, who has the easier job, us or God? We do. Simple things. Ask and you shall receive. Seek, you find. In other words, God requires us to do our part first, which then releases him to do his part. Even in the salvation process, there's our part and there's God. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, our part simply is to believe and confess. Here it says confess and believe, but I believe it's our belief that causes our confession. Amen? So I start believing which then, I, then God says, if you believe, then you need to confess. And when you do that, then I'll start, I'll do the saving. I can't save myself. I can believe. 
and then all of a sudden confess, and then God says, I will be saved. And I, I believed on July 26, 1972, that Jesus died for my sins and that he was raised. As a result of that belief, I confessed in the midst of a room of 30 people that didn't believe that. And I confessed loudly, much to their chagrin. In fact, they were so freaked out, they started leaving my house. And uh, I don't know what they saw, but whatever they saw freaked them out. And so they started running. And then I know when I did that, God saved me. And a lot of people want me to give a theological Answered, how do I know I got saved? I could give one now, but I still like the one that I gave in the beginning when I had no theology. People say, Jim, how do you know you got saved? I said, well, I was there when it happened. <laughs> I, I don't know how. I couldn't give any theological reasons. I just know I was saved. I was united with God and I was heaven bound. I knew that I knew that I knew down in my knower that I knew. That was God. But I had to believe and confess. So there's always two parts. Now before anybody gets mad at me, I'm not talking about and people do get mad at me, especially inmates. I can't tell you how many theologians, inmates who think they're theologians. And uh, my greatest debates theological have been with inmates. And some have no clue. One time he was debating me and he quoted Hezekiah 4-7. Which was telling because there's no book called Hezekiah, but... <laughs> so, but, so I, I have, I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm talking about working out your salvation. They're two separate things. Jesus did all the work for my salvation. I didn't have to do a thing. It's a free gift. Uh, but there is my part now of working my salvation out. And I want to read that to you in Philippians 2 verses 12. And 13, and I want to read it to you out of the NIV translation, only because the NIV adds a word in this verse that most other translations don't. It's implied in every other one, and there are other scriptures that verify it. But here's what it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation. Now, the word that's added here is the word continue that the NIV adds to it. Most will just say work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the will and the do of his good purpose. Other translations will say of his good pleasure, which... If you're walking in his purpose, you are causing him a whole lot of pleasure. So those two words uh, can be used intermittent or whatever that word is. <clears throat> so it says to continue to work out your salvation. And I've shared a little bit of this in the past. I just know because it's one of my favorite scriptures. I've obviously probably shared it here as many times. But the salvation process is an ongoing process. It means I was saved, 
I'm being saved, and I will yet be saved. There's a scripture over in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, where Paul makes this statement, who hath delivered me, who is delivering me, and who will yet deliver me. So salvation is an ongoing process. Now, when I met Jesus Christ on July 26, I want you to know I was saved. I was gloriously saved. I I looked like I was in the order of the silly grin. I mean, I just had this silly grin. Next day, I turned myself in, went into jail, but I still had this silly grin. The eight years in prison, you know what my nickname was? Smiley. Now, do you think I was smiling because I was in prison? I was in the most violent prison in the state of Florida. I was smiling because I was in Christ. And so, but when I got saved, the only thing I was saved from was the purpose of sin. Sin's purpose is twofold. It's to separate you from God, which then causes you to be eternally damned. Sin separates, not just from God, it'll separate people from their family, it'll separate people from their mind, it'll separate people from their health. It separates. And and then as a result, you're eternally damned. Now, when I ask Jesus to forgive me, come into my heart and believe, that purpose was null and void in my life. I was now united with God through Jesus Christ, and I am heaven bound. I didn't say was, I am. I know I'm going to heaven. And, uh, but that was the only thing I was saved from. I re- at the time I received the Holy Spirit. Later I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and the, so the first part is called justification. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So God imputed to me his righteousness. And uh, <clears throat> someone once said if God was to paint a portrait of me, From his viewpoint, he would paint it flawlessly. The things I see and you see, he doesn't see. He looks at the the he looks at the righteousness of Christ that is within me. And so, but the second part is where the Holy Spirit comes, and He's now saving me from the practice of sin. How many of you practice some sin still? Come on, everybody. You know, one of the things that uh, that I have a problem with is Christians who don't think they're sinners. I, I have a problem with those people. They come off so self-righteous. But uh, So <clears throat> I want you to know that I will never be sinless this side of glory because of this corruptible flesh that I still war against on a daily basis. But over the years, I have sinned less and less and less and less and less. But even when I die and go to heaven or caught up in the air, if Jesus comes back, it says I'm going to be changed because there's still going to be, need to be some finishing touches on my life. Things that I haven't been able to do by obeying the Holy Spirit will be done all within a moment. And so... Uh, someone once said, the converting of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacturing of a saint, that's the work of a lifetime. Work. <laughs> that the converting of a soul is the miracle, is a miracle of the moment, but the manufacturing of a saint is the work of a lifetime. 
it's it's going to my whole life God's been working on my sainthood and uh, so and that's called sanctification that's the process that I'm in right now it's where God takes what I already am inwardly and begins to work it outwardly work it out in the way I manage my money work it out in the way that I husband my wife work it out in the way that I father my children Work it out in the way, this is a difficult, how I respond in traffic. And I can tell by your laugh, you're still trying to get sanctified there as well. And, and I'm a lot better, believe me, I am a whole lot better. And uh, I won't go into it. I said what I'm about to say, was going to say at Dwayne Higgison's church, and he cringed when I said it, so I don't... <clears throat> I don't want Pastor Larry to cringe, so. <laughs> That's an inside joke there. But anyway, and yet, and then, so I was saved from the purpose of sin. I'm being saved from the practice of sin, but one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. One day corruptible will put on incorruptible. Mortality will put on immortality. And there will never be any war between the, it's gone. And, uh, it's what we all groan for. So, <clears throat> we have to continue to work out, sir, your salvation. And, and it says here that God has worked in us both the will and the do. And so he's worked it in. Christian maturity or working out your salvation is where you begin to work out everything that God began to work in. And he worked in two things. He worked in a new nature. Here it calls it a desire or will. Some A lot of translation says both the desire and to do of his good pleasure. And so when I got saved, I got a new nature. And with it, I had all kind of new desires. Man, I didn't want to smoke anymore. I didn't want to cuss anymore. I didn't want to get angry anymore. I wanted, I didn't want to be cruel anymore. And cruelty used to characterize my life, and I'm very ashamed of that. But I didn't want to be cruel anymore. I wanted to be gentle. So I had these new desires, but as I tried to walk them out, I'm tripping them on a daily I, I said, man, I ain't smoking a day. I smoked more that day than I did the day before. I said, man, I'm not going to cuss. I cussed more that day than I did before. And I could have said what everybody else says. Man, I tried this thing, Christianity, and it doesn't work. But i got to work out that which God has worked in. So he gave me a new desire, and he gave me the do or the power and the potential to walk out that desire. My process in the working out is to develop the ability of my potential so that I can carry out his desires. And how many of you know developing ability is a process? It's a process. You know, spiritual growth is a lot like physical growth. When I was born in the world, I was given everything I needed to be a mature, outstanding citizen. I had two legs, I had two arms, I had two eyes, I had a mouth. 
But I didn't come out of the womb walking and talking and listening and debating. You know, I had what physical growth is, is discovering what you were given at birth and then learning how to use it. I have a grandson who's two years old, and I've been with him ever since he's been born. And and, and he had two legs, two arms, and for, for a long time he flopped around. He didn't know what they were. He had no control over them. But one day he, the hand got ca- caught in his sight, and he's looking at it. And so then he's trying, he's, man, I, I can control this a little bit. And then the very painful process of learning how to use those arms and hands. It was a while before he could hold a cup. But he was developing the ability of his potential. And it's a process. And it's the same way with spiritual growth. Discovering what you were given when you were born again with your new nature and then going through the process of learning how to use it with the emphasis on learning. So God works it in, but we have to work it out. God worked in me the desire to want to love everybody. How many you know I'm still trying to work that out? Some buddies are easier to love than other buddies, but God doesn't give us a choice. Just love the ones you like. If I did, there'd be a very small number. Now, your pastor's in that number, but the verdict's still out on all of you. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. His fingers are still crossed. But we have to do that. So that's that's a sense of it working out your salvation. Now I want to share with you a concept and that will aid us in being able to do this. It's a concept I first discovered in reading a book by Bob Mumford called The uh, Purpose of Temptation. And in The Purpose of Temptation, he espouses this concept of the four Ps. He says, God will give us a promise. Within the context of that promise is a principle. And then he has the word problem. I've I've improved on his teaching. I've eliminated the problem, and I've added the person. So God makes a promise in the context, either before or after. He will state a principle. As we apply, now this is our part. The, prince, the promise is something only God can do. The promise is something we're, a principle we're required to do. It's telling us to apply some concept in our mind. And as we are, it builds the person. And when it builds the person, it begins to release the provision of the promise. Because there are a lot of scriptures that God can't bless you because to bless you would hurt you more than help you. In Proverbs, it says that inheritance gained hurtly in the beginning will be a curse in the end. Most people, and I've I've read a book on this, that have won the lottery wish they would have never won it. It has caused more damage to their relationships, to their lives, than anything else. If they had to do it all over again, they would have never bought that ticket. 
And so, because it's cursed in the end. In the story of the prodigal son, he asked for his inheritance prior to his ability to handle it, and so it handled him. It says he went out and he squandered his inheritance on riotous living. But here's what happens. If you can't squander a blessing from God without being squandered in the process. You had more, you squander it, and now don't, not only do you don't have the inheritance, but you are less. It says over in uh, Galatians 6, it says, if you sow to your flesh from the flesh, you will reap corruption. That word corruption has, if you look in it, it has the idea of disintegration. As you begin to disintegrate. So you sow only to what pleases your flesh. And in the midst of it, you end up with less and you are less. You have disintegrated to a degree as a person. You're no longer the guy that you were when that happened. So that's why the Lord, though he wants to bless us, he wants that blessing to actually be a blessing. So in order for that to happen, he always attaches to the promise a principle. And that principle, as we apply it, begins to build us up. And as we're, we don't have to wait till we're built up, but as we're being built up, God starts releasing the provision of the promise. <clears throat> now before I go any further, And usually when I say this, I make somebody mad. So if I, when I say it and you made mad, go ahead and raise your hand so I can get that over with. And the second, uh, before I go any further, let me make what may seem like a controversial statement. Promises, the promises of God do not come by praying. All right, someone raised their hand. Unless you agree with me. They come by principle. Now, for some of the promises, the the principle is praying. But even in praying, there's a principle. In two places, it says, as you come before God with your request and you have ought against your brother, go get it right before you make your request. In Luke 11, it says, you know... (laughs) God will will give you what you're asking for, but before you do, you need to go forgive if there's anybody you need to forgive of. So even in praying, the first thing you need to do before you pray is make sure you don't have ought against anyone or somebody doesn't have ought against you or you there's someone you're not forgiving, go forgive them. If you don't, then you have weakened, if not completely nullified, what you're going to pray about because of that principle. Prayer works, but you got to work it. You can't ask God to help you and, you, and where you have <laughs> turned around and hate your mom and your dad and everybody else, but you want God to help you. He will hear this prayer of a sinner, but it's one of repentance. Anyway, though I believe that it's important to pray about everything. I, I do believe in prayer. 
Philippians 4, 6 states, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So I do believe about praying about everything, but just praying for the promises would be both insufficient and ineffective. Just praying. Now, prayer a lot of times will motivate you to find a principle or motivate you to apply the principle. So praying is very, very healthy, but promises don't come solely by prayer. They come by principle. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Ephesians 3.20 is the first promise as a new Christian that I discovered. I'm in prison. I've been in about six months. I'm reading through the Bible. I come through Ephesians, and I come to 3.20, which just really blows my mind. It says this, Now unto him who is able, and so I know immediately that uh, Jesus, whatever he's about to say, he can do it. He's able. How many of God can do anything? So who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you ask or imagine? How I many of that's a tremendous promise? Uh, according to my, the sources that I've looked online, there's about 5,000 promises in the Word of God. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But And the promises of God lets us know what our inheritance is comprised of. It says over in Romans that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, which means everything he has, we have. And so the promises let us know what our inheritance is comprised of. And so this promise says God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you ask or imagine. And so I read that. And I thought at the time that the promises came by praying. So I used that that phrase, that scripture, to be as a springboard, and I began to pray it in a daily basis. Every day I said, Lord, I want you to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond any, and ask or imagine. And I have a pretty good imagination. And I'm not shy to ask. So I'm asking and I'm imagining and I'm praying. And after about three months, nothing. It seemed like my life didn't get any better. It seemed to got a little worse. And so I'm a little frustrated, so I get this idea in my head. <clears throat> I said, well, maybe the scripture is just for veterans. I'm, I'm a rookie. So I'm going to lower my expectations. So I said to the Lord, all right, Lord, I'm asking that I'm just going to ask you to do the exceedingly and the abundantly, and I'll forget about all the beyond stuff. You, you don't have to do that, just the exceedingly and abundantly. Still, nothing happened after about a month. So then I lowered again. I said, well, Lord, if you'll just do exceeding, I'll forget about the abundantly and beyond. Still, nothing. So then I got to the point, I said, well, Lord, if you'll just do what I ask sometimes. I mean, every now and then. I mean, just throw me a bone, you know. I'm getting a little frustrated here. And when I got to that point, and that's probably the point that, uh, Bob Mumford calls it the problem. 
when I got to that point, the Lord spoke to me and said, read the rest of the scripture. I mean, that's important. So it says, the next word is according, which in the Greek means to the same degree. So whatever is said after according is what releases what's said before according and to the same degree. The same degree that you respond what is said after according releases it to that same degree what is said before according. So whatever is said before according is only something God can do. Whatever is said after according is only something I can do. And to the degree that I do what I do, I release God to do what only he can do. Does that make sense? And so what it says afterwards, according to the power that's at work in you. Now that's important. What What is happening before according is you're wanting his power to work for you. And he wants his power to work for you. But before he can uh, release his power to work for you, you've got to concentrate. My job is to allow his power to work in me, to change me, to mold me, to shape me, to mature me. My, my focus is on what God is doing in me. And as, because that builds me up, and as I'm built up to that degree, I release God's power to do the exceedingly abundantly beyond anything I could ask or imagine. I can't tell you honestly, my life has turned out better than I ever dreamed it would. Don't get me wrong, I have my struggles, I have tough times. But seeing where I was and where I've gotten to, uh, I couldn't have written a better script. God has gone exceedingly abundantly beyond. But that's his job. My job is to allow his power to work in me. Do you see that? All right. Another scripture that attests to this is Acts 20 and verse 32. And it says this, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all the, those who are sanctified. Now, that's important, that the word sanctified there, the people that are being built up. So it says here, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And then he says, which is able to build you up and give you... Do you see the order? The building up has to happen before the giving of the inheritance. His word, as I get in, it challenges me. It starts building me up. God has grace for the areas that are not being built up. He has power for the areas that he wants. He's beginning to build up. And and as I am built up, I'm given my inheritance. How do you get your inheritance? You allow the God and the word of his grace to build you up. That's the principle. Amen. I'm going to take, I'm going to just share one principle, promise and principle that I learned when I was in prison. I have several, but you don't have the time for it, and I need to get home. And... I've been away for a while. I'm missing my wife. And uh, 
So let's turn to Psalm 37, verse 4. This was the second scripture of promise that I discovered in the Word of God. And um, it really marked me. 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. By the time I discovered this one, my 30-year sentence was beginning to weigh on me. I was separated, estranged from all of my family. I never got a visit, never got any mail, except for somebody started sending me New Wine magazine. To this day, I don't know who that is, but if I ever could find them, I'd kiss them, even if it's a man. I'll kiss them on the cheek, but I'm still going to kiss them, and... But so it was weighing on me, and uh, I saw this, that there's a God in heaven that would give you the desires of your heart. And I had a lot of desires. I wanted to get out of jail one day. Uh, I wanted to learn a skill that would produce a livelihood for me and ultimately my family. That was a desire. I wanted to marry a beautiful woman. I wanted to have great kids. Uh, I had desires. And again, I had forgotten about the other one in Ephesians. I started praying that the Lord would give me the desires of my heart. And again, was frustrated in not seeing anything happen. I wasn't any close to getting out. I wasn't, my family wasn't any. I, another desire was to be reunited with my family. They still wouldn't respond to any letters I wrote. So, again, I sensed the Spirit say to me, reread the Scripture. And so when I reread it, I started focusing on the principal part, which is delight yourself in the Lord. Now, that's a lot harder than it sounds. In order to delight someone in someone, you have to really get to know them. Uh, there are traits about them that will produce delight in, in your heart. I delight in my wife. There are so many facets of her life that just produces delight in me. And uh, she is so organized. One of the things I delight the most in her is that she has the strongest moral compass that I've ever found in any other person. I mean, she's just moral down to the bone. Her nickname in high school was Miss Goody Two-Shoes. And she reveled in that. <laughs> she didn't take it as a slight. She took it as a Compliment. I'm glad you're recognizing it. And my wife is very outspoken. And, uh, and God knew I needed to marry somebody with a strong moral compass. She never colors outside the lines. I have a tendency of coloring way outside the lines. But over the years, I don't. Because one of the things that happens when you begin to delight in something or someone, you want to imitate it. You want to become like what you delight in. Uh, stupid comparison, but I love playing basketball. 
Man, and I started delighting in the way Michael Jordan played basketball. I mean, I did, and I wanted to imitate. I'd go out and try his moves and the way he dribbled, and, you know, I'd study him. But I, I wanted to imitate it. Whatever you delight in, you want to imitate. I can imagine how much Paul delighted in the Lord because as he tells the people that are delighting in him, you be imitators of me, I'm going to be an imitator of him. Everything you see in me you like, that's because of him. And so delighting. And so I, it wasn't, I was delighting in the fact that he saved me. Everybody delights in that. I had to really intimately get to know him. Know, know what made Jesus Jesus. Uh, know what, why he gathered so many people beyond his ability to heal, heal people. Uh, what what is what is in Jesus' life that would cause people to want to die for him? And there has to be something there. So I started uh, reading and rereading the Gospels and pausing and seeing how he responded and the things that he did and the traits. And one of the first things that I began to realize is that Jesus lived a sacrificial life. Not only did he die on a cross and sacrifice his life, but while he was on earth, he lived moment by moment sacrificially. My definition of sacrifice is volunteer loss so someone else may gain. That Jesus in any given moment no matter who you encountered, he wanted to help them. And in helping them, he had to sacrifice something. It might be time. It might be sleep. It might be some funds. Helping people cost. That's why a lot of people don't help anybody. Because it'll cost. And a lot of times when we run into somebody who needs help, it's usually in an area where we need help. So most people don't help others unless they minister out of their more than enough. They run into somebody, they have more than enough money, they need something, so you do it. But what happens when you run into somebody and you're just barely getting by yourself? You have just enough. Are you willing to lose... In order for that person to gain. Are you willing to go without. So that they might have. One of the things. One of the principles I live by is this. Because most of the time I have just enough. And. And I'm always running into people who don't have enough. And in the midst of it. I decide to give a portion of my just enough. To someone who doesn't have enough. Which in my thinking will put me in a place where I am now don't have enough. But I have found this out about God. When you give your portion of your just enough to somebody who doesn't have enough, all of a sudden it becomes more than enough. Not only for them, but for you. It, it becomes more than enough. I can't explain how that works. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, rolling over, rolling. Uh, whatever the rest of that says. <laughs> what does it say? Close yeah, close enough. 
But <clears throat> Jesus lived sacrificially. Man, I saw it every, and there wasn't anybody he encountered that he turned away. Ah, at the time that I was beginning to understand this, I turned a lot of people away. And, and I started delighting in that. And I wanted to imitate that. And scripture started coming alive, like where it says that uh, Jesus didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to know, he just didn't give his life as a ransom on the cross. His entire life he gave his life as a ransom. He was willing to pay something in order to redeem something. And I'm always being challenged with the fact, what is in my life that I can ransom in order to redeem? What do I have? What do I know? What can I do? That I can use as a ransom to redeem some aspect of somebody else's life. So I started delighting in that and darn it, I started wanting to imitate it. Because again, whatever you delight in, you want to imitate. Now I'm nowhere near like Jesus. But I have over the years, I, more times than not, I give a portion of my just enough. To someone who doesn't have enough. And usually somewhere in the process, not always immediately, it becomes more than enough. Does that make sense? I've given cars away when God has asked me to, when I, which means when I gave it away, I didn't have a car. <laughs> On two occasions. Had a rent a car. But God then did things. It becomes more than enough. I did that, didn't have a car, I had to rent one for six months, gave it in May. I'm over in St. Louis, Missouri. They put me up in somebody's house, and uh, next morning I go out to go to the men's meeting. He wasn't even a part of that church. His name was Bruce Gray, and so this is six months later, almost seven months, renting a car. He So he noticed my car, and he says, hey, man. That's a pretty nice car. I said, oh, it's a rental. I figure if I'm going to rent a car, I'm going to get a nice one. <clears throat> and uh, he said, man, why are you renting a car? And I didn't want to go into the whole story. I said, well, I just, we only have one car between us and my wife needs to get to work. So I have to rent a car. I'm renting a car right now, hoping I'm getting enough to get another car. I didn't go in the story. I gave my car away or anything like that. <clears throat> That was in November. In December, I get a call from this guy, Bruce Gray. And he says to me, he says, Jim, he said, um, if you could have any car at all. First, he asked me, did you get another car? Yeah, I said, no, I haven't gotten one yet. He says, well, if you could have any car at all, he said, what kind of car would you want? And I, I wanted to have an Acura. <laughs> And because Charles Simpson always had Acuras, or so I wanted to be, I delight in Charles, so I want to imitate him, man. So he said, "What kind of Acura you want?" I said, "Oh man, I was, I, I, I dream about a TSX." And he says, uh, "Was there an Acura dealer in Louisville?" I, I said, "Yes, there is. In fact, I had driven in there daydreaming about a couple of them." And uh, he goes, well, go down there and pick you one up and have him give me a call. I said, really? <laughs> Did. Went down there, picked one up, gave him a call, never had to pay for it. Four years later, 
In December, Bruce Gray calls me back up. This is 2010 now. That was in 2006. He said, hey, how's that accurate doing? I said, oh, real good. He said, man, it's about time you get another one. I said, why can't I for it? He said, uh, is that Acura dealer still in town? I said, yes. And he said, well, go down there, pick out another one. I said, what do you want me to do with this one? He says, oh, well, what do I care? It's your car. Do whatever you want with it. And so I gave it to my son for a graduation present. Got a new Acura. And 2014, I'm waiting for the call. <laughs> No, I really am. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get me another new Acura, man. No call came. I had that TSX till just probably a month ago. And uh, so for nine years, I had that one. But how many of you know, when I gave a portion of my just enough to someone who didn't have enough, all of a sudden, somewhere in the process, I had more than enough. If you live your life sacrificially, you only sacrifice in the moment. Somewhere in the process, you're blessed. God will give you the desires of your heart because you're delighting in him. And you have to get to the point that you don't do it for that. Because there's more, there's more blessing in being a blessing than there is in receiving a blessing. That's why it says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Forget money. Money's in there, but forget that. What he says is more happens when you give something than happens when you receive something. Amen. So that was one trait that I started delighting in. And I got nine minutes. I told myself I'm only going to speak an hour. I should have probably told that to your pastor, but I was afraid he was going to say no. <laughs> but so I'm still delighting in him. And then this is marked to me. If anybody ever knows, this trait that's in my life is a result of seeing this trait in Jesus' life. And so uh, I also started delighting in the way that Jesus dealt with social and religious outcasts. If you see the way he dealt with everybody, whether they were Jewish people or whether they were Samaritans or anybody, a Phoenician woman, I mean, everyone, the way he dealt with them, I began to delight in. There are many examples, and this is probably one that I share too much, but my favorite one is found in John 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And uh, in this chap, in this story, Jesus successfully harvests a soul that everyone else would have missed because they were look, would look at the outward appearance and not at the heart. It says over in First Samuel, God sees not as man sees. And you see this in Jesus. He saw people differently. He saw sinners differently. He saw outcasts differently. He saw rebellious people differently. 
he, he it wasn't that he didn't see the rebellion. It's that he saw so much more than the rebellion. He, he didn't see how, how they were so much as he saw how they could be. If you responded to him correctly. So he's successful. Think about it. Of all the places to find a hungry heart, Samaria. Because Samaritan was synonymous with everything that was vile. In fact, it was, if someone called you a Samaritan, they were cursing you out. If a Jewish person called another Jewish person a Samaritan. Of all the Samaritans to be searching for God, a woman, which was a little taboo back then. And of all the women, a five-time divorcee. She'd been married five times, and she shacked up with a man. How many know that alone would have caused everybody to just go around her? But Jesus saw her differently. She was an outcast of outcasts. She was the most insignificant person in the region, yet it was to her that Jesus was sent. Because earlier in chapter, he tells his disciple, because normally they go a different route, but Jesus said to him, i got to go through Samaria. Meaning Jesus knew that on his journey, he was going to run into a divine appointment. And he was going to re- had to respond. He did this because he could see the harvest differently. He could see people differently. He could see sinners differently. Others would have seen a promiscu- promiscuous Samaritan woman. Jesus saw the first fruits of a great revival. She was the stimulus for the whole city getting saved. The whole city. Others would have only given her criticism, but Jesus gave her a chance. Others saw her as she was. Jesus saw her as she was intended to be. It's what it says in Jeremiah, extracting the precious from the worthless. The worthless is obvious. The precious you have to search for. And I want you to know there's something precious in the midst of all worthlessness. But you got to extract that. And how many of you know that word extract means work and a process? I've been to a dentist. It just doesn't happen in a minute, second. I wish it did. <laughs> it's a process. Others <clears throat> saw, would have only saw her promiscuity. Jesus saw her promise. Others would have seen only trash. Jesus saw a treasure. He took a life that was drifting, and he gave it direction. He took a life that no one could use, and he began to use it like no one can. Only God can do that. And one of the best things you see from this story, because he released her back into the city to share what happened to her, is that God always brings his message to the worthless, and then he turns around and uses the worthless to bring the message. That's what he's done with my life. Worthless is what most people would have thought of me when they thought of Jim Newsom prior to meeting Jesus. And now God is using the worthless to bring the message. So let me just say this. I, I delighted in that. And one of my prayers have been always, Lord, let me see people different. I want to see him the way you see him. Because whatever you delight in, you want to imitate. 
that's how you know you've gotten to the point of delighting. Because you want to imitate. It's not a feeling. It's how the, how the Lord, you delight of that aspect of your Lord conforms you to want to be the same way. Just like I want to have a strong moral compass as my wife. And uh, <clears throat> so I started doing that, delighting myself in the Lord. And guess what happened? He started giving me the desires of my heart. I did get out of jail. I did get reconciled with my whole family. It took years. But about three years ago, and I think I shared this, we're all going to have a sibling reunion. There's four boys. and But at the last moment, because of emergency, I couldn't go. And when they heard I couldn't go, they canceled it. They said, well, if Jimmy can't be here, I don't want to be here because he makes everything better. That's a quote from my brother. Where there was a time, if I said I was coming, they would have canceled it. (laughs) So I'm reconciled. I am the favorite sibling. I'm the favorite. It took me 30 years to get reconciled with my uncle, who I'm named after. But now I'm, he always said, that's my favorite nephew. Only God, that's a desire of my heart. God gave me the desires of my heart. I did learn a trade. My mouth. You know, that I could produce a livelihood. My understanding of scriptures. My ability to communicate. God did that. I was a shy, backward person. I, I won't tell you all the horrors I had to go through to develop the potential of my desire to communicate the gospel. Took two years where people didn't laugh at me or call me funny names or shut me down, heckle me. But two years, I shared something and eight people got saved. And I was ruined for anything else except that moment. I did marry a beautiful woman. I do have two great kids. God has given me the desires of my heart. How did I get it? I delighted myself in the Lord. Let's stand together. How many of you would say by a show of hands, all right, Jim, now when I'm reading the scripture, I see a scripture of promise. I'm going to revel in it, but I'm going to immediately look for the principle. And then I'm going to forget about the promise because that's God's part. I'm only going to focus on applying the principle. And as the principle is applied, my person is built up. And as my person is built up, the provision of the promise is released. Now, don't ask me to say that again. (laughs) All right. Let's pray together. Because that's the only way you can respond to this message. There, There isn't anything magical. You just have to, when you see a promise of Scripture... Or one that you've been claiming. And look for the principle. It's always there. And then forget about the promise. Focus on the principle. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would use this word to help these people in ways that will cause you to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could ask or imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Pastor. Amen. Let's thank Jim and the Lord for that word. You can be seated, by the way. Amen.